This morning, we're very uh, happy to again have uh, uh, to speak uh, uh, God's word to us again, uh, Pastor Matthew Todd. So, pass time to you. Good morning. Good to be with you guys again. I trust you're preparing your uh, your hearts and uh, your homes for the Advent season. Um, the title of our message this morning is I Will Not, and it's intended for us to think about what is a, a fundamental statement that opens up with the Advent season, which has to do with Mary's words, be it unto me according to your will. So have that in the back of your mind as we begin to go into our parable this morning. Um, our parable is a, this morning is about two types of imperfect people. In fact, it could be called, which is the better of two bad boys? It's a parable that we only find in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, contextually, the background is <clears throat> Jesus has come into Jerusalem, uh, the triumphal entry. He's cleansed the temple. He's cursed a fig tree. He's been challenged by what authority do you do this? And out of that, Jesus tells three parables, and we're just going to look at one of them. And he, he's speaking these to the CEOs, I would say, of the religious um, society, the chief priests and the elders. And he focuses on a failure to respond to God's call on their behalf. He tells three parables. We're going to look at one, two kinds of sons. There is one that, that comes after it, two kinds of farmers. And another one about two kinds of wedding guests. But the target group is those who are challenging Jesus' authority. And in all three parables, there are two groups that are contrasted. Those who assume that they're, they're in the club, if I can use that kind of terminology. And those who actually find themselves unexpectedly promoted. People who are despised by those who are presently on the in group. All of these three parables, and specifically the one that we're looking at, speak of this radical reversal of roles. And they indicate that the current leadership will be reformed. That the existing system would disintegrate and a new way of life and community would embody it. The good news, of course, is that Jesus was reaching out sincerely to the religious as to who God is and what God wants so that they might enter into his redemptive purposes. So Jesus is not gaming the, the, this group of people as he's telling this parable. God is very interested in everybody coming to know him. This is a backdrop. But let me just give you the big idea so that if you don't remember anything else, you remember this. Hang everything on this big idea of this parable. The key focus of this parable is a call to agree with, with God, to change our minds. You know, the theological term is repentance, and to respond and serve in the Father's will, in the Father's work. So that, that's the big idea behind our text. We're going to dive right into it, and I, I trust maybe it could be put up here, or if you have your Bibles, and you're going to follow along with me in Matthew chapter 21, verses 
28 to 32. The reading was read a little earlier, uh, prior to the worship. So I'm going to just go right into the text. Verse 28 of Matthew chapter 21 begins with these first four words. What do you think? It's the first part of Jesus' question. He says, there was a man. Now, let's keep in mind that the father in this parable represents Father God, who sent John to show Israel how to enter the kingdom with a message for both its leaders and its people. Okay, that's the background. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. The language on the word sons tells us that they are in full reliance on their father. So it reemphasizes the theme of this parable. And he went to the first and he said, son, go and work today. There's an urgency. Today is the day of harvest. What we must do, we must do it now. Go and work today in the vineyard. Now, Jesus' story is based on the idea of an owner in the business community. We would say a family business. And there's an expectation. We, we, we quickly can see from this parable that there are three characters. There's the father who represents God. There's, there's the first son who appears disobedient. He represents the tax collectors and prostitutes. And there's the second son who appears to embrace God's instruction and it represents the chief priests and the elders, the religious crowd who actually rejected God's will and were living in rebelliousness, actually. And in telling the, this parable for the leaders to hear Jesus, what he is doing is he's speaking to them opportunity and yet another chance to steer their lives. Now, the context, of course, is the first century. Well, why do I say that? Well, because I think when I look at the first century expectations of how a father and son relationship works, it's very different from a 21st century uh, understanding and ideas of a father-son relationship. At a certain point, we, we sort of break off and our father may have thoughts and things that he wants to say to us that are of an advisory nature, but we don't we're not obligated in our understanding of an adult to do precisely what he tells us to do. Things are quite different in a first century context. Uh, if I was to say to my son, who is 27, uh, if I was to say, or he's turning 27 here, um, you know, go out and do this work for me in my, in my family business, uh, my son would probably respond to me, you know, that's a lousy dad start demanding an adult uh, child to do this and to do that. But in that time, people didn't break out and, you know, you want to be a doctor, dentist, a lawyer, or whatever. You did what your father did. And he was, in a patriarchal context, culture, you, you, you did as you were told, and you followed in the family line of business. If you were a cobbler or, a, uh, you know, you, you run vineyards or whatever, you followed in the family business. And so there were expectations around this. And if your father is the owner of a vineyard, there was an expectation to carry forward the, the business. In the first century, Jesus made this parable about a, a father and son because every listener knew what was expected of a good son. Now, the centerpiece to this for us, is this is a family story. And we are all part of the family of God. We are God's sons and daughters. And, and the question that is behind this parable is, are we grasping our obligations to our Heavenly Father? Well, in verse 29, we get the response to the Father's request. 
He says, I will not. Now notice he doesn't even say, sir, to soften the reply, right? It's willful, it's, it's arrogant, it's rebellious. It's, uh, to use in, in contemporary terms, forget you, get out of my face, I've got other plans, right? I will not, he answered. But, verse 29 says, later he changed his mind. He was sorry, I shouldn't have done this. He regretted, and it says, and he went. And he went. How many parents we got in the, in the house here tonight? Raise your hands, your parents. Okay, we got a number of parents. So parents, for those of us who are raising kids and sons, uh, you probably can relate to this. You know, you ask something to be done and someone says, I will not. When I was uh, growing up as a, as a young, as a youth, and uh, I was deliberately disobedient, uh, there were times when my parents had to apply the Board of Education to the Seed of Knowledge. Um, there were times when uh, I got hard of hearing because I, I might have had wax in my ears, so my parents sometimes had to heat up my seat to melt the wax in my ears so I could hear better. Now, I realize times have changed a little bit. <laughs> but one thing that hasn't changed is that every one of us has been like the first son, if we're honest with ourselves. There are times we have said no. And we're not told how long it took for him to change his mind. It, it could have been a prodigal son interval where he comes to his senses. We're not told what prompted the change. We are told in a, by, by implication that this father did not dump the first son. That's, that's intentional. We're getting an insight into the character of our father. But the story goes on. And in verse 30 it says, Then the father went out to the other son, and he, he said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. Isn't that wonderful? I'd love to hear that. It's music to our ears, you know. He's like, Can you take out the garbage? Would you clean up your room? I will, sir. Well, he probably doesn't say sir, but yes, dad, yes, mom, whatever. Sure, glad to. I'm, I'm your man. Uh, I'll be there. You can depend on me, sir. The, the word sir is there. It's in the text. There's compliance. There's respect. But maybe, maybe it's passive-aggressive behavior. Or, or maybe he began sincerely meaning it, but the text says he did not go. He was a no-show. Like, like some sons I've seen, they just want to sit around and play video games. They don't want to clean up after themselves. Maybe some of you can relate to that, right? Some of the home stuff. I think we've all known people who were polite with us, but they disagreed with us in their heart. This is this person. Child number two was, I think, what we would call a, a church gore, but the church wasn't in him. He had all the right answers, but he just had some bad connections going on. The son said he, he'd do something, and he didn't. God says do, and we don't. Everything that God calls us to do isn't something necessarily that we're going to like or something that's easy. Some assignments and things that God calls us to do are not to use the language that they use now isn't sexy. Some involve hard work and involve a cross. I just want to warn you, <laughs> this is not an easy text, okay? But it is, the word of, it is the word of the Lord to our ears this morning. So I encourage you, the word of the Lord always comes with good news. 
We want to know God's word, his, his will. We need to know his word. And this is a parable announcing that there are some who say they know about God, but they don't do as well. I don't know. It could be distraction. It could be procrastination. I don't know. Whatever it is. You know, do people know that we are Christians by our actions, not our words? When I was traveling in China, I remember talking to Christians there who were unable to speak about the gospel in any public nature. So people had to detect in their lives there was something different about them, about their character, about their integrity, and so forth. When I, I, I was writing this uh, this sermon just recently, uh, I I was praying. I was saying, "Lord, give me an example of this." I'm just I'm trying to grapple with this text and try to understand what this looks like. And uh, I got a living example of this. The Lord is faithful to bring you bring something to your heart. Um, that particular weekend, just a number of weekends back. Um, we went to a, uh, a big band festival. There's about 25 big bands in the city. And um, it was held in Surrey. Uh, I went because I play in a big band, and I, so I wanted to see what was going on. Afterwards, we decided we were going to go out to a reputable restaurant, my wife and I. And um, have you ever gone to a restaurant where all of a sudden you feel like you've been taken hostage? You can't, you can't get out? You know, sort of like the... Hotel California idea, you know, you can come in, but you can't get out. You know, they're just you're trapped in this place, right? For for multiple reasons. We had we were there, it just seemed forever. We got we 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 ordered something hot to start off with, and it came, and we had no utensils, nothing to eat this hot stuff with. And and literally, I kid you not, literally, I'd asked three separate waitresses for utensils for the table. And I got effectively what I got was uh, I will, sir, kind of kind of uh, reply. But uh, nothing came to the table. Eventually, we were eating this stuff with our fingers. You know, this is embarrassing. And then we were going to order the main entree. So I ordered the meal, and I said, please, I, you know, no fries. You can look at me. You can see why I'd say no fries, right? Can I have a salad? You know, and, and uh, I wanted to change up the meal. No problem, no problem. Of course, guess what I got when it came? Yeah, right, lots of them too, right? <laughs> And, uh, you know, so that was a, that was a problem. Uh, I needed water, actually, to, you know, it was, it was hot. There were lots of people in there. I asked for water. Uh, I, I never got water through the whole meal. But 10 minutes later, the table over from me, who afterwards put in an order, they got a Coke and a beer, and, uh, and I was parched, right? I don't, maybe that was the password, right? Order Coke and beer, and you get Coke or beer, whatever. I don't know what it was, but anyway... Um, but uh, when, when I asked for the check, of course, you know, the tip is tied into this, right? Boy, did I ever get that promptly, right? I got that check really fast. Now, that doesn't happen very often, but I'm guessing many of you can relate to a story like this. But it occurred to me as I was wrestling with this text and, having, and had that experience fresh in the day that I, I had this, uh, that God sees some people's response and service to him in this very way. They have capacity, they, they, uh, they can do it. Uh, they say yes, but they don't do what's asked. Uh, things that are asked for are ignored. Uh, things specifically asked 
not to do are ignored. This is the second son syndrome in our parable. And I I think most of us in the room here uh, can be deeply troubled by people who show respect with their lips, but there's no respect in their heart. Uh, We all know how we react to people who act like this son did. We know how we deal with people like this in the workplace, how we deal with people like this in the home context, in church, right? Uh, Probably the, the script that goes off in our mind is, that person is not reliable. I don't think I should be asking this person to do this, right? They, I can't trust it. There, there are many sayings that you could probably tell me some too about good intention with no action. Samuel Johnson commented on a very famous one. He says, hell is paved with good intentions. Anthony Liccioni commented, he said, burning bridges behind you is understandable. It's the bridges before us that we burn, not realizing we may need to cross them that brings regret. We're troubled by the revelation that people can lie to God, really. Ananias and Sapphira is an example in the book of Acts. But let me put this another way. If you were hungry, would a promise for a meal be good enough for you? Right? You don't want someone to say, we should have you over for dinner sometime. You say, let's make a date. (laughs) You know what I mean? Or, or you know, the people that you have to pay your bills to, uh, are, are they willing to, to just get a promise that you're going to pay? We, 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 it's this kind of thinking that factors into our reflection and thinking why God would not be satisfied with just resolutions when nothing gets done. And if repentance is represented by saying one changed his mind then saying he did not implies that there's a great possibility to think we are good with God and not be. And I think that represents a resistance to grace, if I look at this text carefully. And there are many things that uh, in our hearts that can creep up and create resistances to grace. Fears, uh, overthinking the sacrificial costs, But the invitation of the gospel doesn't say, you know, hey, come and check me out within a month or come and check me out within a year. The gospel invitation is for now. Behold, now is the accepted day of salvation. And repentance takes us beyond, changing our mind takes us beyond good good intentions to engage in the process of becoming the person that God wants us to be. So the implied fault of the chief priests and elders then is not simply the inconsistency of their behavior, but actually, and this is a very important point for all of us to think about, is their failure to fulfill their God-given roles. This is very significant. Failing to fulfill our God-given roles, what God has called us to, how God has gifted us, what God is prompting us into, holding back from participating in the redemptive activities that God wants us to be involved in in taking up our place in the Father's vineyard. And I don't want to narrow that down to just the church. Because God has a kingdom and he has a church in it. The kingdom is bigger, right? Well, so we we move into verse 31. And this is really about assessing the Father's will. And it doesn't take a genius to answer Jesus' question. Because in verse 31, he says, Which of the two did what his father wanted? Now Jesus completes the question. And I can imagine all these 
chief elders and, and these, you know, chief priests and all that stuff. Oh, that's an easy one to answer, you know, like one plus one. Dot, 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 dot. Well, the first they answered, right, collectively. You can just see this, right? The focus is which did the will of God? And the Jewish leaders, like the second son, claim to be living in obedience to God's will. Jesus is driving home this need for self-examination. If I can put it into questions, they would be something like this. Have you kept your original promise to the Father? Are you doing the Father's will? What has God asked me to do that I have said yes to that I haven't followed up on? And what has God asked me to do that I have said no to that I'm supposed to pay attention to now? And so God is calling for our yes. And that what we do is more important than empty promises. This isn't a soft word. I didn't write it. I'm just a messenger. For parents in the room, uh, you may have a son and daughter that are saying no to God. However, you may be saying no to God too. And we, we need to remind ourselves that the, the purpose of the parable is a plea to those who can still change, who can still know the Father's will. There's a word of hope in this. This parable is saying, don't miss your opportunity. Recognize your day of opportunity. Recognize the moment of opportunity. It's here. It's upon you. It's before you. Well, Jesus said to them, this is in verse 31. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors, that's the crooks, okay? And the prostitutes, that's the whores, the underclass, the pariahs of Jewish society, are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Now, if you're on the receiving end of that statement, you know that this is an offensive comparison because these are the people that the chief priests and elders despised. Dr. Luke quoted in chapter 18 that when the Pharisee prayed, he thanked God he wasn't like this category. That's embarrassing. But let's remind ourselves that th this parable is not primarily about the crooks and prostitutes. Jesus is addressing the in crowd. He's addressing the club. And Jesus is holding out encouragement to those who are willing to repent. If we repent, all things become new. Old things are passed away. Longevity in religion is not what's important. It is in some people's minds. But what really matters is do we really give up our sins and follow into the Father's will? Well, he says in verse 31, he says, they're going in ahead of you. Not only are they entering into the kingdom first, but you have to face the humiliation of being led by them and being shown the way if you change your minds. This is shocking. And I, the other day I was sitting down and I was watching a program. Uh, it was a religious program. And this fellow was on there. And you all know, like I do, that there's these gang wars that are going on in our city. People are being shot almost monthly. We're hearing deaths and shootings and killings and murders. And I was watching this man who was in, in a gang, and he was standing there. This is, rel this is recently. It's within the last number of months. 
And God profoundly met this man's life, and he, he had an incredible experience with the Lord, with the Spirit of God, and has changed his life. And his, and his, his story was, it just blew me away. It, it's a book of Acts type story. God is doing something, and I'm looking, I'm going like, wow, have we forgotten that this is the God whom we serve? When he says that they're going in ahead of you, this is a word of mercy. This is a word of mercy. He's telling them that some of you in, in this rank will enter the kingdom. I, I wonder if Nicodemus or Saul is in this group. It doesn't say, but you know what? You can allow your mind to think about what who's in that group that Jesus is addressing. But he says in verse 32, For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, to show you the right road, and you did not believe. Now sadly, church history shows this pattern. This year, right, is very significant for Protestants, people like us. It's significant for, I think, modern society because it represents the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation under Martin Luther, right? 1517, nailing the 95 Thesis on the church door. Now, that was, a, that was actually a life-threatening uh, gesture that he did. They were, he was chased and hunted and all kinds of things for standing up for the truth that the authority was in the scriptures and not in popes and what other people said, right? That the just shall live by faith. That you can take communion and I can take communion and not just the priests, right? All these things, there's multiple layers of things. A church history has been like this, that when, when the truth is, is, is said, that there are those who, who want to throw stones at the messenger. Wesley had this. He, Wesley couldn't preach. John Wesley couldn't preach in churches. He had to preach in the fields because they wouldn't have him in churches. This is what happened. John was experiencing this too. And John came to show you the, the right road and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they did. In other words, our modern day translation, translation of this would be the Ponzi scheme crooks. And the porn stars, people whose lives are overcome by greed, by power, by sexual indiscretion, screwed up lives. They're coming in. Now, why did Jesus add this to the story? He could have said just what he said in the, in the first little bit. Here, Jesus is saying to you, if you've screwed up your life, here Jesus is saying to you, my kingdom is for you. The first group recognized their need, but the second group didn't recognize their need. Now, what does this mean? What this means is that even if you can't forgive yourself, God can. If you've messed up, Jesus says, my kingdom is for you. And the good news is this, is that your past sins don't discriminate you from God's kingdom. They make you eligible, actually. And he says in, in verse 32, second part, and he says, and even after you saw this, this is the in club he's talking to, the evidence of messed up lives being changed, you did not repent and believe. Jesus is still being so patient with them, even to take the time to have this conversation with them. This is the grace of God. We all, we all begin with a no to God. And I think this text, what it does is it confronts us where we have been like the second son and said yes to God while in fact going in the other direction. 
uh, I think a prerequisite for turning it around in our lives is being honest about our feelings, being honest about where we actually are. Repentance being, begins with a honesty about the forces within us that say, Father, I'm not going. Father, I'm not doing that. It's the resistance that happens in our spirit about the mission of God, the call of God, the will of God. And we can't begin to experience having our lives turned around until we start risking and dealing from where we really are. I was going to say warts and all, but maybe I got the warts. Maybe a capacity to move towards repentance is first going to require us to admit our real feelings to the Father. Get some things off our chest and to be real. Because when we show up before the Father, newsflash, we bring all of who we are. And this parable reminds us that it's not how you start out, it's how you end up that matters. And we're invited to reflect on the matter of doing our Heavenly Father's will. And yes, this this text, it starts by changing our mind, by turning. But we must also hear God saying to us, and I say this especially to some of the timid in the, in the group. Trust me with your life. When following my path threatens you to panic, trust me. Don't be afraid, son. Don't be afraid, daughter. I would like to encourage each of us, all of us, to, to be very honest with ourselves before the presence of God. And we are in the Lord's presence. Which son's story is most like our own? Which child are we? We're not given a lot of option here. I'm sorry, I wish there was a third option. But in this text, we don't have to stay in the text. We're given disobedient or not truthful. That's, that's the options. Those aren't good. But I have good news for you. <laughs> As the gospel is good news. God wants to change our story. He wants to reign in our hearts. He wants to change our hearts. And we need to ask the question, why was Jesus making an appeal with a parable such as this? I know there's some people that can take a text like this and they can jump up and down and, and preach fire or brimstone. But I think this is a grace appeal. He's making the point that now is the time to change. Now is the time to turn. Now is the time to repent. That now is the time for a person who recognizes that they have not, not cooperated with God. Now is the time for a person who is willing to believe the truth about their situation, that you can experience grace and forgiveness. A new heart. A new way of thinking, a new way of experiencing what God wants to do and what God is on about, the Father is on about. The scriptures tell us, we have this promise from that comes out of Ezekiel, actually, way back in the major prophets, 36, 26, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. This is what God wants to do. And we should think about how not to be like these, these, two, these two sons. Because God is speaking to each and every one of us. If the spirit of God is in you, if you have faith in Christ and you call him your Lord, 
He calls us to go into his vineyard. Where has God called you to be? What is God calling you to do? I want to encourage you this morning to show up. I want to encourage you to step out. I want to encourage you to try something. Many of you are are doing what you're supposed to be doing. Wherever God has called you, I want to encourage you, that category of person, to ask God to help us to love his work. Sometimes we're doing it, we don't love. But ask God to help you to love his work. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in a word of prayer with me this morning. Lord, you teach us that repentance and obedience is much more acceptable to you than lip service and empty promises. You tell us that whom you love, you you discipline. Those are hard words. This is a hard text, Lord, for all of us. We recognize that. But we also recognize that it comes from your love. It comes with good news. It comes with the accompaniment of your presence to enable us to be able to do what we could never do in our own flesh and in our own strength. Lord, forgive us for sometimes saying, I will, sir, but not following through in our promises of faith and service to you. Help us to be true. Help us to be faithful to you, Lord. We want to live out your will in our lives, to put our faith and trust in you and to live out the reality that we are children of the Most High God. And all God's people said together, Amen and Amen.